Hi everyone, I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Yasmin Sudagar and Dr. Roshni Christo, respectively the CEO and application scientist at Neurescence. Recently, Dr. Sudagar and Dr. Christo joined us for a webinar to discuss the use of calcium imaging in up to four implanted areas of the brain of freely behaving mice to map out neuronal circuits and identify changes that take place under different disease conditions and behavior mechanisms. Let's get right into it. First question here today, do you have to manually define the ROIs from each cell? I think Yasmin can take that question. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Yes, you do. Uh, basically, the capability that comes within our software, you will go and manually select the ROIs. Now, uh, there are, of course, a couple of different techniques uh, that are somewhat automated. These are called uh, PCA-ICA, or this is one method, another method uses non-negative matrix factorization. With those methods, they are, they are basically, these are code where you need to set, first of all, the good parameters for each brain. So PCA-ICA has four parameters, and non-negative matrix factorization has more than that. And uh, after you find a good set of parameters, and good set of parameters being the parameters where it gives you the least number of false positives while it detects the largest number of neurons. Now, you set this, you find these parameters, you run it on your brain movie, and you get a number of segments or movie or potential neurons out. And then you need to go in like, and manually choose which one of these segments are really neurons and which ones are false positives. I'm calling it semi-automatic because there is a lot of intervention. You need to find the good parameters and then you need to uh, eliminate false positives uh, one by one. And depending on what type of movie you have in the brain area, so uh, or what type of neurons you have tagged, manual contouring might be the fastest and the most efficient way to go through. But if you have a lot of overlap between the neurons, so say if you have tagged all neurons in hippocampus, then, then you are going to need to use PCIC or non-negative matrix factorization. Now, one thing that we didn't have time to go through here is in fact the workflow surrounding using these methods. And if you would like to discuss further, please do email us and we'll be happy to meet with you and show you how that is done. Thank you. All right. Fantastic. Great answer. We've had a few questions about the use of the multiscope systems in rats. Is this possible to you? Oh, yes. Exactly like how it's done in the mind. And yes, as, I, as you saw, it can be used in other species like birds. Sorry, can I add uh, something here? So with rats, uh, you can express GCAM depending on the brain area by the I mean, researchers who use rats. They say there must be a bit more vessels, so you need to spend more time controlling the bleeding. Depending on the type of the work you do, there might be concern that uh, if the rats will chew through the fibers and so on. So we are actually going to soon start doing some tests with a lab that uses rats, and uh, they are going to uh, basically help us answer this question of how well-behaved rats are, if you will, when it comes to these probes. But if you're interested and if you're interested in testing things out, again, please definitely do reach out to us and we would love to work with you and answer some of these questions. But in essence, as Roshni said, you know, yes, the technique is used with rats and, uh, you know, you should be able to do it. All right. Fantastic. Thanks so much, uh, Yasmin and Roshni. Next question here, what is the weight of the implant? 
And maybe I'll expand this question to say, uh, what is the weight of the implant and does it affect the behavior very much in the mice? So the weight is less than 400 milligrams and no, it doesn't affect. As you saw, we have an amount of three implants, we have it in birds and it's very lightweight. It does not affect any kind of behavior. Fantastic. To a similar question, so you're asked whether you can have different implants in different regions of the brain. I mean, I think you talked about this a little bit, but maybe you could clarify that a bit. Yes, so we can implant in different brain regions. The lenses are customizable uh, to the region of interest, and you can implant up to four. So these lenses can even be used in juvenile animals, if we had, uh, as I don't know if we mentioned that. So, yes, it is flexible, depending on your brain region. Yeah, here I brought us to the slide because in this mouse with the three implants, here you can see the three brain regions. So one lens is in the somatosensory cortex, another one is in CA1, and one is in the basolateral amygdala. So yeah, the, the, the strength of, the, of this technique is that you can go to any brain region of interest, and it can be as uh, deep or shallow as you want. As Rashi just said, uh, one customizes the lenses for that. Fantastic. And I think that sort of leads into our next question. How deep can you go for mice? Could you do imaging to the PAG or even deeper areas? So internally, we have tested it in basolateral amygdala and brainstem. So you can go as deep as it has never been shown to interfere any, hinder any movement or any behavior, if that's the question. And we would love if it's brainstem or any other deep regions, please get in touch with us. And since we accepted it internally, we'll be able to help you troubleshoot the protocol. Fantastic. Next question here. So thanks for a wonderful presentation. How long can you use the system to image the same areas in the brains? Is it you know days, weeks, or or how long is it? Days, weeks, months, yes. I think all of it. So if you ask me personally, I have imaged up to six to seven months. I don't know if there is there's a study that requires it. We were just doing internal testing and yes. Fantastic, great answer. All right, next one here. So uh, on slide 11, maybe we can navigate back there. On slide 11, there is an image of a mouse with an implant in its spinal cord. Are there any publications showing the use of this platform in the spinal cord? Yeah, so um, thanks, Roshi. There aren't any publications yet. So this is done uh, with a collaboration, with a, in a collaborating lab. Basically, the implant doesn't, it uses only one small hole is removed from one vertebra and the lens and the, you know, that little connector piece are implanted there and then the fiber connects. So you don't need to fuse vertebra together for that. And what is imaged, basically what is done for this work until now is to see, because with the spinal cord, unlike the brain, the lens shouldn't touch the tissue. If the lens touches the spinal cord, you are killing the tissue. So if this is the spinal cord, the lens should be sitting on the top. Now, if the lens is not touching the spinal cord and the mouse is moving, the spinal cord is moving. So the question is, can you even image anything when there is so much movement? And so the, the, basically what is done is the test where a fluorescence, basically fluorescein, which is a fluorescent tag, it's injected in the blood vessels to the vein. And uh, we and this lab, they image the spinal vein while the mouse is moving around. And we could see the movement of the vein 
And that was actually quite a pleasant surprise because the movement is only in one direction, so it's not all over the place. And the displacement is actually quite small. And the vein itself, when we are imaging it, it, it is very, it's not fuzzy, the image. So the movement does not affect the image quality. And the movement is small enough that one can do motion correction on it. So that is the stage that this work is at. We do have actually a whole presentation on the spinal cord. You know, again, if this is something you are really interested in, we keep saying reach out to us. So yes, please reach out to us and we will talk to you and discuss it with you and show you basically what is done so far regarding the spinal cord. Fantastic. Yeah, great answer. All right, next one here. So are anesthetics necessary? And if so, how might these affect your results? So anesthetics during surgery, yes, absolutely they're necessary. And during imaging, no, they're not. Uh, the lens connectors are, you can comfortably handle the mouse or the animal without anesthetizing the mouse at any point during your imaging session. We took it uh, into consideration that a lot of learning and memory studies get affected to use anesthetics. So we teach you how to handle uh, the animal and how to connect and disconnect the probe comfortably. Fantastic. Yes, was there something you wanted out there? Oh, no, I was just wondering if I should uh, show the movie again where I'm showing the connection and disconnection, but that should be fine. We have a video on our YouTube channel where we are connecting and disconnecting directly on the mouse. Fantastic. All right. Okay, next question here. So, do you have any issues with scarring after surgery, obscuring the field of view or changing the focal plane? So, if your surgery has gone smooth, we have had for my, personally, for my initial surgical surgery test, I've had like dead neurons and live neurons and the forehead can't tell you if the neurons are dead or alive because it's, the dead neurons has fluorescence with a different color of green than your live neurons. So when you image it, you can exactly see what you're dealing with. And we have developed a surgical protocol to maximize live neurons and to reduce the number of dead neurons or scar tissue. Even when we uh, change the focus, we, I have not had Fantastic. Do you have any a, a range of different probe sizes or any plans to introduce different probes for different applications? Yes, the, so, the lens. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, I think if, if by probes it is meant the lenses that get implanted in the brain, in fact, right now uh, there are already multiple lenses and multiple sizes of lenses. So basically, I mean, the work that is being done in different labs is so different from each other and the brain regions. So each lab, they clarify what brain regions they are interested in. And depending on that, the lens is designed to have the good diameter and a good length to be able to image that brain area. In terms of the size of the fiber optics itself, that's a bit of a different story. So these are specialized fibers and they are quite hard to produce. So basically the one millimeter diameter is the sensing area and the length of the fiber is 84 centimeters. And that is the standard. As we showed you, it is pretty much good for all range of behavior experiments. So what matters here is the size of the lens and we already have the different sizes. Fantastic. So we've had a few questions about the price. Uh, can you comment on, on how much is an individual implant in the system? It really depends. So. The price of uh, epifluorescence imaging systems is generally anywhere from 60k to 130k. So the quartet system is 680k and uh, implants themselves, it really depends on the type of the lens that is required because it, it simply depends on the price of the lens and that really depends on the lens company. 
you know, if you tell us what particular thing you're interested in, uh, we will be able to give you a more precise answer. Fantastic. So in addition to feeding centers in the hippocampus interested in electrophysiological readings, optogenetics, calcium imaging, and pancreatic islets, is this possible with your system? And how might lenses be inserted or fixed in this place? We have not tested it in, in other than the brain. So the one thing I would like to suggest is we offer practice lens connectors. If you are interested, you want to know if you can fix it, if it's possible, we can reach the region. I suggest you reach out to us and we can discuss how practice lens connectors and you can practice your surgeries with it and that ensures your surgical success. So any other region, please do reach out to us. So we can, because this is individual to individual basis. And I quickly saw a question where they, people have asked if we give support for surgical surgery and uh, neuronal extraction, yes. That is comes with our system. We get all the support to make sure that you publish, in short, yes. All the way from your surgical success to your neuronal extraction to synchronizing your behaviors, we help you to help. All right, fantastic. Oh, sorry, Yasmin, anything to add? Sorry, I just uh, I, I saw a couple of, I know that was going to be the last question because we are out of time, but very quickly, yeah, there, there are questions about combination with EFIs and optogenetics. And yes, lens connectors themselves are so small that say if you want to do optical imaging in CA1 and you want to simulate, I don't know, the cortex, you can do that. The question is, can you image and simulate so you can implant your optogenetic or your EFIs anywhere else that you want in the brain. With electrophysiology, what uh, Roshni showed you, the electrodes are, are glued to the side of the lens. So in fact, we are collecting the electrophysiology signal from the same area that we are imaging. And that is definitely possible. So that is how the combination with EFIs and optogenetics happen. And if you are working with some areas which are not as common as Roshni just said, we can provide you practice lenses and, you know, we help you figure it out, basically. Thanks, Mia, for that extra. Let me do the extra. I've noticed a lot, lot more questions. Talk to us, Twitter, LinkedIn, email. Yes, we are available to answer all your questions. I'm so sorry that we're running out of time. <laughs>